0: Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers, teachers, and all of God's preachers. I'm Rachel Wren.
1: And I'm Tim McNinch. We're looking at the first reading for June 14th, 2020, which is Genesis 18, 1-15. And uh, if you'd like a little extra, chapter 21, 1-7. through This is about uh, Isaac, right?
0: Yeah, Abraham, Sarah, and the uh, promised birth of Isaac, and then the actual birth of Isaac if you include Uh, chapter
1: 21 as well. That's that's a great story, isn't it?
0: Oh, it's such a good story. It's one of my favorites. (laughs) (laughs) I've done this one with confirmation students so many times, and I just, I I never get sick of it. I just love this story so much. Is this one of
1: your favorite passages in the whole Bible? so
0: is, the whole Bible. I haven't said that in so long,
1: have I? (laughs) Well, I, I want to find a passage that is not your favorite. That would be... <laughs> oh,
0: you know what's funny is I used to have one, and then I did a lot of research on it. And then I was like, you know what? I think I really like this, actually. So <laughs> they're there, I'm no sure. Surprise. I'm no
1: surprise. No surprise. Right. All right. How do we want to get into this, Rachel?
0: Oh, it's such a great story. I mean, the so the beginning, um, it opens up with just this great kind of dramatic beginning, in that it's dramatic in its subtlety. Um, So so the Lord appeared to Abraham by the terrapins of Mamre. He was sitting at the entrance of the tent as the day grew hot. It sounds kind of innocuous, but when you really drill down deep into there, there's a lot going on because, first of all, the divine name is used. Um, This is Adonai. This is, you know, not just God appeared or he appeared. Like, they're making a very particular claim that the Holy One of Israel, appeared to Abraham as he was just hanging out. He was just sitting under some trees one day uh, because the day was getting hot. And so right away you have this kind of very generic domestic scene that the divine holiness is interrupting. Um, so mm-hmm. we know that there's going to be some jarring clashes going on in the text just by that very kind of subtle innocuous beginning, which is kind of delightful.
1: And it's pretty pretty potent. I mean, this is, this is the God that you're not supposed to see, right? And yeah. here the Lord appears Yes, yeah. yes,
0: exactly. Well, and and it appears in kind of an interesting way because mm-hmm. in verse 2, Abraham looks up and he sees three men standing near him. And that would seem to be not a... Uh, irregular thing, you know, people probably traveled in groups, groups of three, you know, you, if one person gets hurt, one person stays behind and the other person goes for help. That's what we always used to tell our <laughs> campers <laughs> nice. when I was a camp, camp counselor. Who knew they had
1: the same rule back then?
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, but something about the three men is jarring to Abraham because immediately he gets up, he runs to them and he bows to the ground. Now, typically in Hebrew, if you're going to say bow to the ground, you're most often going to use something like af to eretz, which is your nose going to the earth. Mm -hmm. It just means like a very deep bow. But here it uses a special word in the Hebrew that uses the word vayishtachou which means he bowed down. And it's it's a special word because it's usually used for worship. That's it's, right, It's yeah. usually used in the context of worship and of worship of Adonai.
1: Yeah, it's, it's so, like a technical term, right? Like from yeah. temple worship, yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, so so Abraham thinks that something special is going on and, and maybe even something divine is happening here.
1: Mm.
0: And we see that in the next few verses because it's hard to translate into English, but Abraham is using this word na over and over again. Like those verses are just littered with this little particle na, which is, again, hard to translate, but Mm -hmm. means something like please, means something like obeisance. It's often used in the context when someone of lower authority is talking to someone of higher authority. Um, It's very elevated language. So so. We don't know exactly what Abraham is thinking, but man, he knows something special is happening.
1: Do you think that Abraham knows that this is Adonai?
0: Well, the text doesn't ever tell us. In the next few verses, we never hear why Abraham's trigger has been tripped. Um, so there's an ambiguity, there's kind of a playfulness that the text is, is throwing our way. But I think what the suggested in the text is that Abraham knows instinctively, um, that he is in the presence of the divine and he's trying to act in an appropriate way. Uh, but, but the text kind of plays with that. It never really tells us.
1: So, uh, we had Trinity Sunday last week. And this is another of those texts where uh, the the threeness of the visitor that represents the presence of Adonai is often capitalized on to talk about this is a revelation of God as Trinity. Do you? What do you think of that?
0: No, I don't think so. Um, in I, I think, and the reason I say that is because later to on burst my bubble. Sorry, <laughs> later <laughs> you're wrong. Um, Later on in verse 22, Abraham is walking with the three men, and it says the men went on from there to Sodom, while Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Um, and then later again, when we pick up this story of the uh, the angels in Sodom and Gomorrah in chapter 19, it says the two angels mm-hmm. were in Sodom and Gomorrah. So it's not the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not the triune God, the three in one. It is God in humanoid form with two other divinish angel beings in humanoid form. So I I don't think I would use this to talk about the Trinity. Um, I think it's convenient for us today to do so. But I think for the purposes of the story, there was a different reason they were three. And in part, that's because so the Lord can stay with Abraham and the two other guys can go away.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right, right. Yep, I'm with you there. All right, uh, take us deeper into the story then.
0: Oh, it's so great. Okay, verses 6 to 8 are hilarious. Um, when you read it, um, er, you know, so if, if you're reading the this for your gospel text, that'd be wonderful. Um, if you're coming back to this after the lessons have already been read, read it again, just these verses 6 to 8, and ask people to close their eyes as you're reading it and imagine their grandparents doing the actions of Abraham and Sarah. <laughs> because at this point, he's He's 99 she's 89. And even if we account for the different way the Bible talks about age at this point in the story, they're still old. They are past childbearing age. So if you picture this story as two old geezers running around like chickens with their heads cut off, or like little kids or teenagers who are trying to please their parents, it's a really funny picture. Um and and it can be a nice way to invite people into the humor of the text that they might miss, thinking of the Bible as kind of very holy scripture.
1: Yeah, and 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 lest you be accused of being ageist here, Rachel, this is this humor here is actually a theme in the text itself. It's making a, a real point about how old Abraham and Sarah are at this point, to show how spectacular it is what God does for them. Yes. And uh, so that, that theme continues as the as the passage goes on as well, right?
0: It does, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up because I want to pause on that spectacular nature of what God does for a minute. Because often, when we talk about the spectacular thing that God does for Abraham and Sarah, what are we talking about? We're talking about Isaac, mm-hmm. right? We're talking about a descendant. We're talking about a child that is born past childbearing age. And that absolutely is a spectacular thing that God does in this moment, but it's not the only thing, or, or it's not the wholeness of the spectacular picture of what God is doing. In verses 9 through 15, we have an interaction between Abraham, Sarah, and God. God tells Abraham, By this time next year, your wife Sarah shall have a son, and Sarah is in the tent. Now, the tent was the realm of women. It was where she was supposed to be. The field was the realm of men, so she was in her proper place. God and Abraham are having man talk outside, and (laughs) Sarah is listening to it, but she's properly where she's supposed to be in the tent. And what happens when Sarah overhears God saying that she will have a son is she laughs. And what we often say is, uh, oh, yes, she was laughing because it was so ridiculous, this idea of her and Abraham having a son when they were so old. And it's true. But that's not actually what she says. Sarah says, now that I am old or aged or in some translations withered, am I to have pleasure with my husband being so old? Mm -hmm. Now interpreters have often taken that word pleasure and linked it directly to, again, Isaac, the child. Am I to have a child now that my husband is so old? But that's not, again, what Sarah says. The word she uses in Hebrew is Edna, which um, sounds like the name of an old lady in our context, (laughs) which is unfortunate because what it actually means is sexual pleasure
1: Mm. in
0: Hebrew This isn't happiness or joy or fulfillment. She is literally talking about the pleasure that comes from the sexual act. And the thought of her aged husband being able to give her that pleasure is so ludicrous that it makes her laugh. So now biblical scholars and pastors and commentators have mostly been men. So it's not very surprising that this particular interpretation has not been much promoted. Huh. But uh, Susan Brayford, who's a scholar, has a really nice chapter in a book called Method Matters, uh, where she talks about, she really kind of fleshes out this word and talks about it as it is. Now, I don't like where she ends up because she ultimately sees this chapter as Abraham and Sarah attempting to control Sarah, to deny her, to, to kind of squelch her interest in sexual pleasure, especially because God's response is, why did Sarah laugh saying, shall I in truth bear a child old as I am, which is not actually what she says. Mm. So, so Brayford sees this as the uh, patriarchal system, the male deity and the male husband attempting to control the female. But I I don't see it that way. Um, I actually see it the opposite I see it as God inviting the Sarah into the conversation. Um, As I said earlier, God and Abraham are having man talk, and Sarah is properly in her realm, in the tent, where women are supposed to be. And she's not supposed to take part in this conversation, but she's listening. And God knows that she's listening. And he says, why did you laugh and say shall I in truth bear a child, we have a couple of options. Either the deity misheard Sarah, which is not very likely, um, is reinterpreting what she said in an attempt to control or squelch her voice. Or a third option is he's offering her an opening to say out loud what she really means. Can I have pleasure now that my husband is so old? And what's missed is that God invites Sarah, a woman, into a male conversation and gives her a chance to be extraordinarily brave and say what she's really thinking out loud.
1: Yeah, that's a window into that kind of an experience that we, we don't get enough in, in the text mm. or, or that isn't often brought out in interpretations.
0: Yeah, I think, and I think the other reason that I am leaning so heavily on this is because I think it's supported in chapter twenty-one when Isaac actually is born. Um, because here Sarah doesn't take God up on the offer; she she lies. In fact, which who could blame her? This is a radical thing to invite a woman into a conversation with any men, let alone a man and a god. Um, but. This idea that God offers those excluded the chance to be a part of a conversation is supported in chapter 21 when this moment has this beautiful echo or kind of comes full circle when Isaac is named. Mm. Uh, In chapter 21, it says that Abraham named Isaac. But typically in the Bible, when someone gives a name that has a meaning there's an explanation of the name immediately following. Uh, you see this a lot with like Rachel and Leah. They named, you know, I named him Asher, for I am happy. Um, you know, Asher, the word in Asher in Hebrew is connected to happiness. Uh, but Abraham doesn't give a reason why he named Isaac Isaac. Hmm. We don't we don't actually get a reason until we get to Sarah. And what Sarah says is, God has brought me laughter. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. This suggests that Sarah at least had a part in the naming of Isaac, if not was actually the one to do it. Mm -hmm. But but more importantly, instead of her sarcastic, pain-filled laugh from chapter 18, this is the laugh of a hope fulfilled and and reborn. Um, So, in the naming of Isaac, Sarah finally does take part in the conversation. And she gives her voice to say what she really thinks. And it's beautiful because it's in a moment of hope instead of a moment of despair, as in chapter 18.
1: Oh, yeah, that's really nice.
0: It's so good. I love this story so much.
1: (laughs) And then uh, just to mention that uh, the name Yitzchak, Oh, right. Isaac, Yitzchak, means laughter. And yes. it actually kind of sounds like laughter. It's, it's onomatopoeic, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so Sarah names him this moment where she takes part in the conversation and uh, kind of memorializes her conversation with God, and it's just in a really neat way.
1: Yeah, wonderful. Okay, so um, what do we want to look out for here? What are our, what's a preaching pitfall?
0: Yeah, so basically everything I said is the angle that I would take with the sermon. The pitfall is idolizing Sarah. One of the best parts about the book of Genesis is nobody comes out the hero. Mm. Everybody does things, says things, acts in ways which are just terrible. And um, also has these moments of beautiful kind of faith moments as well. But Sarah is one of those people. She treats her servant, Hagar, horribly. And um, immediately following uh, this this chapter with this kind of glorious wonderful um birth of a a hope reborn she continues to oppress hagar and in, in fact uh gets to the point where she convinces abraham to send the servant and her son out in the wilderness essentially to die so don't idolize sarah don't um romanticize her she is a real person whose body and being bears the scars of the trauma she has had to live through and those um that her reality goes as high as you can imagine and as low as you can imagine. So mm. just maybe name that and be real about it too. Yeah,
1: that's, that's a good caution and a great teaser for next week's episode as we continue on in the consecutive reading. <laughs> so thanks for your work on all of that, Rachel. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, friends, uh, take a look at our website, firstreadingpodcast.com to see our back episodes and to get links to all of our guests and their work and um, to the various lectionaries that you might be following. We have all of that on our website. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. So stay tuned as we continue this consecutive reading, and we'll join you again next week. Until then, I'm Tim McNich.
0: And I'm Rachel Wren. Happy preaching.